Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Psalm 27 of David. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evil men advance against me to defile my flesh, when my enemies and my foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then will I be confident. One thing I ask of the Lord, that is what I seek, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling He will hide me in the shelter of his tabernacle and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his tabernacle will I sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Hear my voice when I call, O Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject me or forsake me, O God, my Saviour. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not hand me over to the desire of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, breathing out violence. I am still confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Father, we've just uh, sung together, prayed together, uh, so that you, our comforter, may draw near to us now. Uh, Appear within our hearts and kindle our hearts, your holy flame. Bestowing. We'd pray that you would be doing that in our hearts as we turn to this psalm together and doing it for your glory and in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, please do sit down. And uh, as you're sitting down, if you could be turning back in your Bibles uh, to Psalm 27, that's page 557 in the Church Bibles. <clears throat> page 557 and Psalm 27. How should we face the inevitability of future suffering, grief, and pain? I'm not talking about the possibility of future suffering, grief, and pain. I'm talking about the inevitability of future suffering, grief, and pain. How how can we deal with that? How How can we face it? How can we deal with our fears about those things? I don't know what you were thinking as we were hearing it. Uh, a little earlier on, uh, hearing from Tamer and her, her experience, apart from how good it would be to hear much more from her. I think one of my reactions to, to that is to think, you know, wow, I'm, I'm, quite a, I'm quite naturally quite a pessimist, quite an anxious and fearful person, uh, yet what Tamer has experienced goes way beyond anything that I might have feared, way beyond any kind of worst case scenario I could dream up. 
And although she's told us something of how she's managed to, to cope with that, how she's managed to keep going, I, I still seriously wonder, you know, if, if that was me, uh, would I be able to do that? I sometimes get the same feeling when I'm reading the biographies of Christians that those Christians we take to be the heroes of the faith or the heroines of the faith, you know, facing seemingly impossible uh, situations, whether it's in the Ecuadorian jungle or it's in the Cambodian uh, killing fields or it's in the concentration camps of the Second World War. And I still wonder as I'm reading that, how were they able to survive? How were they able to keep going in their trust and their faith? And I, although I kind, of, I kind of know the answer to that, and I suppose most of us here this morning would kind of know the answer to that, I still wonder, and you may still wonder, would I be able to cope with that? I wonder the same with some of the biblical characters too. How were they able to face what they faced? And uh, most especially this morning, I'm thinking of David, King David. How was David able to be like David? You read about David in the Bible, and he really is, in many ways, one of the coolest characters in the Bible. Uh, We see him utterly calm in the face of danger. You know, he goes out when everyone else is terrified and slays a, a giant with a stone. He's calm even when he's unjustly outlawed by his king. Uh, He's calm even when betrayed by those closest to him. How is he able to do it? Was it because he was very good at yoga? Was it because he'd just read a self-help book on cognitive behavioral therapy? Was it because he'd been on a course on mindfulness meditation? And uh, I ask those questions not just to make, not not to make fun of those things, uh, but just to make the simple point that this is you know this is written two and a half thousand years ago, three thousand years ago, something like that. It can't have been any of those things. So what was it? Well, if you've got your Bible open in front of you this morning, you've got the answer really kind of staring you in the face. How was David able to be like David? Well, a big part of the answer is because he prayed like this. Because he prayed like this. Now, I hope you're seeing over these weeks that we've been looking at a few psalms, that these psalms are, they are teaching us. They're teaching us how to pray. They're giving us the words to pray when we can't find them. That's especially important, for, of course, Uh, in those times of uh, grief or despair, uh, or as we were thinking about last week, in times of injustice. But there's an additional aspect to the Psalms I want to address this week, and that's that the Psalms, as well as teaching us how to pray, also teach us how to think. Uh, They jumpstart our minds and our hearts when they've grown cold. Uh, They clear away false or unbelieving thoughts. Uh, those thoughts that are in danger of choking us and holding us back. And Psalm 27 is actually a very good place to see these things, uh, thoughts and prayers working together. It is, again, a lament, an outpouring of of grief and emotion. Uh, You can see that in verse 5, for example. This is a prayer for the day of trouble that David is facing. Well, what I hope we're going to see this morning is praying like this is what made David 
like David in the day of trouble. And I think we'll find that it's wonderfully simple. Uh, In the day of trouble, this is, first of all, what to think. Uh, This is what to pray for. And finally, this is what to say. Think, pray, and say. So I'm going to look at it in three parts this morning. Uh, Verses 1 to 3. Think, words of confidence. Then 4 to 12. Pray, words of longing. And then 13 to 14. Speak, words of encouragement. Think, pray, and say. So let's uh, begin with how we should think. Verses 1 to 3. Think, words of confidence. That is, think about the truth of your relationship with the Lord your God. The truth about it. Think confidently about him, even in the face of the worst peril. What's going to get you through that peril? Well, this truth will. Listen to verse 1 with me. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Now this is, of course, not naturally how we think. Uh, In the day of trouble, my thoughts tend to be uh, quite different to that. They tend to be more like, oh no, or I can't do this, or this is desperate, Uh, I'm useless and hopeless, would the ground please open up and swallow me? And that was just this morning. (laughs) But David will have none of that. He's encouraging us to take all those thoughts, all those irrational, misleading or false thoughts and to replace them with rational, true ones. So we may say, so that we end up saying, no, it's not desperate actually, that's false. Why is it not desperate? Well, because of this, because the Lord is my light and my salvation. He is my light, conquering any darkness which might engulf me. He is my salvation. He will rescue me from any danger and any judgment I deserve. That's the truth about knowing the Lord. So even if I am thinking, you know, I'm I'm useless and hopeless, well, actually, actually, that's irrelevant. Irrelevant. Because the Lord is the stronghold of my life. Those are very amazing words, aren't they? The Lord is the stronghold of my life, a mountain fortress, a secure place of refuge. What exactly does David mean by that? Well, we can be sure that he doesn't, what he doesn't mean here is removing us from our troubles, removing us from the day of trouble. What it does mean is that God will protect us through the day of trouble, no matter how bad it is. Now, you might well ask, how can I be so sure about that? Uh, well, most especially, of course, because we're reading this psalm as Christians. And we know that the pattern set here by King David is fulfilled in Christ Jesus. And that is precisely what the Father did with Jesus, not removing him from the day of trouble, but protecting him through the day of trouble. And that's what Jesus promises the Father will do for us if we follow him, not removing us from the day of trouble, but protecting us 
through the day of trouble. In other words, especially reading this psalm Christianly, especially reading it that way, we can face the inevitability of future suffering, grief, and pain with the same kind of confidence with which Jesus faced those things, with which Jesus faced the cross. We know that it's not going to be easy as we look forward in life. We know that it's going to hurt. But we also know that we can entrust ourselves to the one who will protect us through it, to the life beyond, to the resurrection life beyond. And indeed, back in Psalm 27, we can see, even in the next two verses, that David is clearly not expecting to be removed from the day of trouble. And he gives us two very extreme examples of, of what he means by that, this kind of thing that he might face. Two, if you like, they're two worst-case scenarios. Let me read from verse 2. This is what David's got in mind. When evil men advance me against me to devour my flesh, when my enemies and my foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then will I be confident. You see how extreme it is? You know, if, if I find myself in the middle of a zombie apocalypse, you know, like in the, in the film The World War Z, if you've seen that, you know, there's a crowd of flesh-eating monsters rushing towards me very fast. You know, if I wake up tomorrow and I discover that, that Russia has declared war, uh, not against the Ukraine, not against just the West, not even just against the UK, but against me personally. You know, Putin declares war on Ben Cooper. You know, that's the headline in the papers. And I look out of the window and there's a parachute regiment coming out of the skies. But David says, they won't be able to destroy you. However frightening it is, you don't actually have any reason to be afraid. However bad it looks, you can still be confident. Why? Because the Lord is your light and your salvation. The Lord is the stronghold of your life. Now we do something like this, I guess. With our children, for example, we, we, we see them fearful about something in the future, something coming up that they have to do, and we say, don't worry. You know, what's the worst thing that could happen? I have to say, it doesn't, often doesn't help very much when someone says that to me because, uh, you know, I've got, I've got a quite an active imagination. I can usually think of thousands of things that could go wrong. You might be the same as that. To take a, a trivial example, perhaps you're feeling anxious about all the preparations coming up to Christmas. And someone notices that you're feeling anxious about it and they say, come on now, what is the worst thing that can happen? And you look at them aghast and you think, have you no imagination? <laughs> you know, what if none of the things that I've ordered on the internet had to turn out to be right or, or arrive? What if I forget to buy a present for someone and, and only remember on Christmas Day itself that you hand me one and I can't give one back? Or what if I burn all the food or give everyone food poisoning or the Christmas tree catches fire or the, the flashing lights in the front garden electrocute the postman? <laughs> That's very interesting, isn't it? The approach of Psalm 27 is not to take all of those fears. It's not to take all of those fears and say, don't worry, it'll probably be all fine. 
Actually, the approach of Psalm 27 is, is, is to do, is to say, well, suppose all those things do happen. You know, Christmas on EastEnders is like that every year. <laughs> suppose it's, you know, suppose it's worse than that. You know, your entire family hate everything you've done and throw you out onto the streets. Still, don't worry. Why? Because the Lord is your light and your salvation. The Lord is the stronghold of your life. Now perhaps we can begin to see how this psalm can address even our deepest fears. Pause for a moment just to think about what those deepest fears are for you. Whether it's being marginalised or ignored, neglected, unloved, Uh, The fear of loneliness, fear of pain, uh, fear of the death of someone close to you, fear of your own death. Uh, Think back uh, to what we began to hear from Tamar earlier, uh, what, what could possibly address that kind of tragedy or the fear of that kind of tragedy. Well, nothing can, nothing can begin to address it. Nothing except the light of the Lord, the salvation of the Lord. Nothing apart from the protection of the stronghold of the Lord. And with that in mind, uh, think for also for a moment what you might put in the place of the Lord in an attempt to address your fears. And really, I don't need to suggest any examples here because I can say to you, you know, whatever it is, really, whatever it is, at some point, whatever that is, you're, you're trusting to address your fears, at some point, it's going to fail. And it's going to fail desperately. And that's, of course, because all of our deepest fears are to do with death. Uh, and nothing we can dream up or rely on apart from the Lord is in any way adequate to deal with those fears. And in our most honest moments, we, we kind of know that, and which is, of course, one reason why our lives remain so full of fear. But they don't have to be, says David. If you know the Lord, then the darkness of fear can be driven out. Verse one again. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Now, even if you're with me so far, you you still might be wondering, do I really know the Lord like that? Can I really know the Lord like that? And if I can, how can I? It sounds great, doesn't it? But how can I really know the Lord like that? And this really takes us to the middle section of our psalm this morning. If the secret to driving out fear, even the fear of death, lies in knowing the Lord, well, David says, pray about it. Pray for it. This is our second section this morning. The day of trouble, having thought those words of confidence, now pray some words of longing. Verses 4 through to 12. Pray words 
of longing. Pray words, says David, which express your longing to know the Lord and know him better. Pray words which express your fear about losing that. And then pray for help. And this is, as I'll say more about in a moment, very, very much like a love letter. Now, the, the words which express David's single-minded longing to know the Lord, knowing better, well, we'll find them, I think, in verses uh, four through to six. Uh, take a look at those with me. One thing, says David, I ask of the Lord. This is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his tabernacle and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his tabernacle will I sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. So what's going on here? Well, at the center of the city uh, was the house of the Lord, uh, his dwelling place. At this time, as David is writing and speaking, it it was a a tent, a, a tabernacle. And deep inside the tabernacle, hidden from sight, was the presence of the Lord. But even though David's just seeing a glimpse, perhaps even a glimpse of a shadow of the glory of the Lord, this is the one thing he really wants. Because, of course, in the end, this is the one thing that really matters. Remember we were saying earlier, the secret to driving out fear, even the fear of death, lies in in knowing the Lord. That is the one thing that will make a difference and provide David with absolute safety and security. So that's the one thing that David asks for. So that's the first thing. And of course, if all of that is true, if knowing the Lord and knowing his better is the one thing that really, really matters, and then of course losing him and losing all that is the one thing we should be afraid of. All the other fears just sort of pale into insignificance compared to that. And it's, it's that fear which seems to be driving what David prays for next. Okay, so David was claiming back in verse four. He was, he was praying for one thing. Well, I reckon um, he, he slightly sort of oversteps the mark. He prays for at least 10 more things here. But just listen to this. I read that, just listen to how David expresses his fear that he might lose this, this precious, precious relationship with the Lord uh, and how that's interwoven with his confidence that he won't. Let me read from verse seven. Hear my voice when I call, O Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face I will seek. Don't hide your face from me. Don't turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Don't reject me or forsake me, O God, my saviour. Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Remember that the secret to driving out fear, even the the fear of death, lies in knowing the Lord, relating to the Lord. And so David prays earnestly, earnestly for that not to be taken away. And we put all of this together, I think we do what we end up with is something a little like a love letter, a love letter to the Lord. Now I've written one or two love letters in my time. Uh, all to Catherine, of course. At least, um, at least that's my memory. 
And, um, uh, and actually, she's, she's carefully kept them. She's carefully kept them um, in an unmarked box, carefully hidden in our basement among all our other precious things, uh, like, the, uh, like the camping gear and the, uh, our, our collection of spare cardboard boxes and you know, that pile of old clothes we haven't quite taken to the recycling yet. They're, they're there very, very safely. Anyway, um, thinking about those again has reminded me uh, just what it is, I suppose, in some ways, to, to, to find a, a sort of genuine love for the first time, just how all-consuming it is in many ways, how it pushes everything else to the, to the margins. And I, I guess the essence of a good, lover is something, a good love letter is something like that. You know, all I, want, all I want is to see you and know you. My greatest fear is to lose you. I just can't lose you. And that's precisely what David is doing here. Just think about uh, what Tamar was telling us earlier after the death of her father. Now, that moment where she had to, to, to throw herself just completely and utterly upon the love and mercy of the Lord. You know, doing it with, with, with nothing to give, really. You know, without any reservation, without any qualification. Well, that's what David is doing here. And as we pray these prayers with him in this psalm, that's what he's encouraging us to do too. And actually, only then, only then does David ask for help. Verse 11. Teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me in straight, a straight path because of my oppressors. Don't hand me over to the desire of my foes. And by that point, of course, he can pray that with really some confidence. And I just want to say that, you know, if, if David can do this, we certainly can. Yeah, you might not at first believe me when I say that. After all, you know, David was David. And as for me, you know, I'm just me. But trust me in this. We are in a far, far better position to pray like this than David ever was. We see far more. You see, David didn't know personally the Lord Jesus. He hadn't heard, in all its fullness, the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, David, he was able, to, from time to time, to see glimpses of the shadows of the glory of God in the tabernacle. And that was great. But knowing Jesus means having access to the one who John tells us tabernacled among us. It means having access to the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth, as we remember at Christmas time. And of course, David only had his, his own experience to go on, but we have the experience of Jesus Christ, who, just like David here in verses three and four, was surrounded by evil men, who died surrounded by an army, by soldiers, but who was vindicated and raised to life. And knowing him, united to him by faith, our protection through suffering and death is absolutely guaranteed. For us, in Christ, there is no doubt about what will happen. There's no question of being abandoned or rejected or forsaken. And it is amazing that Psalm 27 is already an amazing prayer. We were praying earlier, just before we came out, that 
you know, I've got such precious material to talk to you about this morning, but just praying that I wouldn't mess it up. This is one of the most amazing psalms that we can turn to, especially in time of trouble. But I'm telling you that by, by reading this rightly, by reading this rightly as Christians, by focusing all of our trust, not in a place as David had to do, but on a person, on the Lord Jesus, well, then we can pray this prayer with a depth and a joy and a confidence that not even David ever experienced. And that is worth encouraging one another to do. Uh, which, interestingly, is also the notes on which the psalm ends. Uh, so we've had thinking words of confidence. We've had praying words of longing. And then finally, we have this encouragement. Uh, speak words of encouragement. Verses 13 and 14, speak words of encouragement. Now look with me very briefly at how David finishes the psalm. So he stands among his people and he boldly proclaims this confidence and then he encourages them to be confident too. From verse 13. I am still confident of all this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. And I suppose a very simple thing to see here is that all this confidence and trust and prayer, it's not merely a private affair. Facing struggles and suffering and fear, it's not, it's not something we have to face on our own. And that's what David is modelling for us in this psalm. Uh, we can imagine that originally this was a private prayer, just between David and his Lord. But David has written it out and he's published it and he's getting his people to pray it through with him together so it becomes their prayer too. And all that means that his confidence in the Lord can overflow and become their confidence in the Lord. And just to make that all crystal clear, he ends with a word of exhortation to them. There in verse 14, wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. So as we do find confidence, and in Jesus and through the gospel we can find confidence, it is not, it's something we shouldn't really keep to ourselves. So my testimony to you this morning is that I am confident that in the day of trouble I will nonetheless be able to look forward to experiencing the goodness of the Lord. Now, when that happens, I'm sure I won't, I won't know precisely when or how that, that's going to happen, but I can be confident that it will. Even if I'm consumed by suffering beyond my wildest fears, even if I'm consumed by death, Likewise, uh, likewise, my exhortation to you this morning, if you're experiencing the day of the trouble, trouble, and if you're experiencing that in the way that David is, well, wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. And again, I don't know how long you'll have to wait. I don't know precisely how that's going to work out. But I do know that he will be faithful and that wait will be worth it. So let me go back uh, to some of the questions I began with uh, this morning. How do we face the inevitability of future suffering, grief, and pain? None of us can avoid it. None of us can avoid it. How do we face that? How do we deal with our fears about those things? Do we ignore those fears? Well, that's hardly going to help. Uh, do we take those fears and analyze them carefully? 
trying to reason ourselves out of them. Well, sometimes that might work. Sometimes that might work with groundless fears. Problem is, of course, many of our fears are not groundless. They're entirely reasonable and rational, especially the fear of death. So do we develop meditation techniques to help us to deal with our fears so, so that we can somehow distance ourselves from them, stand aloof from them? Well, that might help in the sense that it, those fears will hurt less. But it's not going to deal with whatever it is we were afraid of. Those kinds of approaches basically assume that that's impossible. But what we're being reminded of here this morning is that that's not impossible. It's not impossible if you know and trust the Lord. So I do want to implore you this morning, as I implore myself... If you are seeking a solution to your fears and you're suffering apart from the Lord, well then come back to him today. The answer is here in front of us. This is what Tamar discovered in the day of trouble. Uh, This is what our Christian heroes of the past discovered in the day of trouble. In fact, what we would discover about them is that they weren't really heroes at all. They just knew and trusted the Lord. So drive out your fears then by filling your thoughts with true words of confidence. Pray, pray earnestly for your relationship with the Lord. And as you rediscover your confidence in him, don't keep it to yourself. Let it spill out for the encouragement of others. This is what David discovered in the day of trouble. And he really, really wants us to discover it too. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, You are indeed our light and our salvation. Whom shall we fear? You are indeed the stronghold of our lives. Of whom shall we be afraid? Heavenly Father, we we do believe those things. Now, please help us overcome our unbelief. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.